Hello, everybody, and welcome to the program today where we are talking to Scott Graydon. He is the author of the second New Scenic Cafe cookbook. And the New Scenic Cafe is such a lovely spot up in, do you, I, I mean, I always say Duluth, but are you, is that your technically your township? Yeah, we're in Duluth Township. We generically say the North Shore, but we use Duluth as our placeholder. We're about, you know, 15 miles just north of Duluth. Yep, because the North Shore is sort of a large encompassing area. And Scott and I met for the first time in person, actually, I recorded a podcast with him right before the pandemic, like literally, I think the government shut us down the next week that yep. I saw you. And you've had a lot of iterations over the last couple of years. You have um, really leaned into your Airstream model, and then you did a bang up job at the state fair. And I can't wait to talk with you about that. And were you working on this cookbook the whole time or before that? Or tell me the trajectory of the second cookbook and how it came about. Yeah, lots to talk about. So the cookbook number two, I think, was always part of the idea even during cookbook number one. And, you know, incidentally, I think we're also thinking about cookbook number three. So there's that perpetuity of our thought. When COVID hit, you know, it scrambled everybody. And once we started seeing kind of the writing on the wall that we were not going to be able to operate as a restaurant, we kind of had a conversation of how can we use our time wisely. And a couple of us ended up putting our our efforts together and um, using the learning from cookbook number one and what we didn't want to do, what we did want to do, and kind of started building what we had. A lot of our photos were, you know, like I said, taken previously along the way. And then there was just some that we needed to redo, et cetera, et cetera. So we used some of that time to work on the cookbook. And then we met with our broker who did the printing and worked out some of those details. And just like the food and other resources, as you can imagine, paper became an obstacle. We had to make a lot of decisions and adjustments along the way, um, even for that supply chain. So the cookbook was under works along the way there. We utilized our time and did this during the COVID shutdown. I feel like when I looked at the book, because I also have Nilsson Magnus's book about Nordic cooking. Okay. And when I, when I looked at the book, how do I describe it? It's not an easy cookbook. It's not going to be like my cookbook, which is like, I feel like the most basic of all basic cookbooks. Okay. It's a little elevated. It's beautiful. Like the pictures really capture the place and the terroir of where you are in a way that was just gorgeous. And at the same time, the food feels very kind of Nordic, but also sort of Minnesotan. And it's hard to describe because when you think of Minnesota cooking, you know, you think of rhubarb, but your like pickled rhubarb recipe, as an example, is a little bit elevated. You do have uh, Agnes's cake in there, which is pretty much the rhubarb cake we all make. And I have the a recipe for a rhubarb custard pie. You have rhubarb custard tart. But at the same token, each recipe is just a little bit chefier and a little bit be more beautiful on the plate. I just, I loved this book. I can't wait to try and cook more out of it. I was gonna try to do something with potatoes the other day and I ran out of time, but I'm always a little unsure about you as a person because you are, you remind me a little bit of like, you're just so creative. Like it comes out in so many different ways. 
you're a teacher, you are a chef, you're also a writer, you just do all these things. You're now a photographer, I'm finding out. <laughs> do you see yourself like as a food person or do you see yourself more as like a creative person? Um, <clears throat> that's an interesting question. Um, I, I honestly, I don't spend a lot of time um, looking at myself, if, if that's <laughs> a way to, to announce that. Um, I do think that there's um, a difference that that really starts to present um, when you when you take the time to look at it. And there's a difference between a restaurateur and a chef. And um, I am not classically trained or formally trained. This is an experience effort on my part when it comes to the culinary world. So that that is part of it. But I also I care so very much about all the aspects of the restaurant, not just the food. And that puts me more in the restaurateur category, whether it's the brand, the marketing, the front of the house. Um, the building, whatever it might be. As far as creative, I think, yes, I do think I, I enjoy creative outlets. Um, even as a child, I um, in kindergarten, I was charged with the task of painting a mural down the entire hallway in the grade school. So I was kind of isolated and alone and out there and I painted a mural that was probably, I don't know, probably over 100 feet long. Um, so yeah, there's that outlet and I think it does come out in food. I think it comes out in business. I think it comes out in the cookbooks. And as you noted that I was also into photography, I share some of that photography with two friends, uh, Eric Sturtz, who helped me with cookbook number one and two, and he's with the cafe and a very close friend. He's um, really pursuing photography. And then another friend, uh, Christian Dahlbeck, he is a photographer and he does a lot of the water scenes and he's the scuba guy that's out in Lake Superior freezing, but getting some really amazing photos. So yeah, I, I think they're all very interesting. I also love architecture, um, but I haven't spent any time doing that other than building my own home and things like that. But yeah, I love the creative outlet. Well, and your restaurant is your restaurant is testament of that. I mean, it's beautifully architected in the way that it it works. So you with COVID, you kind of pivoted and you did airstream sort of outdoor environment. Then you kind of went to more of a cafe style. What are the plans for this uh, spring and summer for the new scenic cafe? Sure. Yeah. So COVID really changed things for many of us, if not all of us. Um, we had a food trailer that was initially slotted for the state fair and then state fair was canceled the first year. So we were able to use that trailer as our outdoor kitchen, if you will. So people could come up and dine. During that time, we also bought a second trailer with the idea that this, we were not sure what was going to happen. So we got another trailer which would go to the state fair if it opened and the other one would be a home base. As things changed, as they do, the trailer one, we ended up putting down in Canal Park and then trailer two ended up going to the state fair. During that time, we operated the restaurant almost as a, as you mentioned, cafeteria style. People would come in, order it from the front and then we'd cook your food and you could take it to a picnic table or at that time, the restrictions allowed you to sit inside. We did not have enough staff to have full service at any strike of that idea. But now, as of November 10th, we reopened for full service, but we're only open five days a week. So we are open Wednesdays through Sundays, closed Mondays and Tuesdays. And that's primarily a staff-related issue. You know, I think many of us are having struggles finding people to work in the industry. And then uh, our hours are 11 a.m. till 9 p.m. So we're doing lunch and dinner service those five days. That's what we're currently doing. I'd like to go back to seven days a week, um, staff dependent. And then I'd also like to do the two trailers again, again, staff dependent. That's kind of where we're at right now. So as far as the spring and summer, 
I'm hoping I can say this with confidence, uh, spring full service, uh, five days a week. And then summer, hopefully we can get it up to seven days a week, but for sure five. That's I'd like to be able to say that with confidence. And fair for sure this year. We are invited back into the state fair, which is great. Um, and again, we're going to be scraping to find uh, staff for that. So I'm hoping we can find enough people that are interested in joining our, our team for that as well. And will you change your menu at all there? Or you, you know, you did the tuna tacos. Will you add anything or is it most people at the fair kind of get their signature item and then each year try to add a new food? Yeah, that was what we tried to do. And that was the initial, um, there were some um, restrictions on what we could do. And we submitted a, our, our application for this year, adding on our lobster roll. So it, it, we've been told we're kind of price pointed out a little bit, but that's just kind of what it is. So we're going to do our sashimi tuna tacos and our lobster rolls this year. The lobster roll that you have is delicious. It's, you know, I'm, I don't, I love lobster rolls. I order them wherever I go that has them on the menu. And it's surprising how many bad ones there are. I mean, it's kind of a simple thing, but I guess however you put it together and your choice of ingredients really makes a difference. So I will be looking forward to your lobster roll at the state fair for the cookbook. Is it like, who's the market for it? I guess anybody that's interested, I'd like to say that. Um, I think that it's, there's a memorabilia quality to it. Capturing a moment in history, almost like a photo album. I think there's an experience quality where you can come into not just the food and the recipes, but kind of the contextual environment, you know, some of the values, I think the the book, reads with simplicity doesn't mean that the recipes aren't complicated or anything like that but a lot of white space within the book a lot of effort towards keeping it simple as far as the item itself really capturing some basics when you look at there's a couple photos of you know the fishermen or people surfing in the lake it just kind of brings you into the the atmosphere and the culture around us so that's kind of what we're looking for is to be able to bring that so i guess it's kind of brings you into the experience of the cafe. And then if you've been here, it's kind of harkens back to maybe your memories that you have of being here or being on the North shore for that matter. And your place is a, has been a real destination um, and a special occasion place for lots of people too. Did you ever get the chance to meet uh, Ian Planchon and Lynn Melling when they were up there from 515 Productions filming for a documentary about surfing in Duluth? I did. I did not. I did not. I think your photographer might have, because his name kind of sounds familiar to me. Probably. Um, we had them on the podcast uh, a few months back. The North Shore, how has it changed in since COVID? Like, is tourism still the same? Are you sort of gearing? Do you have a sense of like that there's going to be a big summer? Oh, we're hoping for it. I think it's changed in a bunch of different ways. I think that and I, I want to say it's, I don't want to say that it's dramatic, but I do want to say that there's been some some changes. Um, you know, a lot of people wanted to get out of the city. Everything from the COVID stuff and uh, George Floyd's passing and, and all of that really scrambled a lot of a lot of us. And we found that the tourism was really robust this summer or last summer, I should say. The summer before when COVID originally shut everything down, incidentally, we had a bridge that was out that is between the, the New Scenic Cafe and Duluth. So unfortunately, a lot of the traffic just went on the, the, you know, the express bypass and just went right around us. So this last year, when the bridge was complete, we were able to capture some passerbys, if you will, 
I have, you know, communication with people up the North Shore a little bit farther and they've had banner years, you know, it's just yeah. occupancy's full. It's just busier than they can handle. Also staff shortages all the way up and down the shore. So I think it's changed that way. I also think that what we can do is different. I was talking with my parents and, and they've retired to Florida, my mom and my stepfather. And they were talking about how they were at a restaurant and it was really poor service. And normally I would have, my narrative would be, yeah, it's really difficult and the service isn't good. However, now I find myself asking for consideration because I think a lot of places, what we're doing is our best is completely different than what people's expectations have been. I'm not asking for forgiveness, but maybe just get informed about what we're doing. It's a lot harder with less people and everybody's working more and longer hours to supply these customers with their their stay or their their food or their service, whatever it might be. So I know that it's been taxing a lot of people. So I think in that regard, the tourism piece, we're not able to give the historical version of what our best is or was. And it's difficult because we all know that we used to be able to do better. But I do think we are all doing the best we can given our circumstances. And it's so interesting to look at hospitality because, you know, we're we're trying to give grace because supply chain is squeezed because a lot of people have just flat out left the industry, finding that not to be a sustainable situation for their lives or their health or their families. And yet everybody's coming back in droves, right? So restaurants are busier than ever. Like, and and people are having a hard time understanding that the landscape has changed. I wonder if we will cross that bridge. Like, will we get to where eventually things will norm out in the old way or will we always be in the new way? I think we're kind of at the precipice of figuring out what that looks like. Yeah. I wish I had a black magic eight ball and I could shake it and see what we're, what's coming up. Um, I'd like to believe that like the snow globe get, is being shaken and these flakes are now settling again. I think they're settling in differently than how they used to be. Not every flake's going to come back where it once was. If we don't have a resurgence of interested, capable uh, labor force, then we will have to have some permanent changes. Even certain restaurants will close. I think the hours will be dramatically different. I think the norm will be changed, whether we're you know, we could end up with a, a community that everybody just knows restaurants aren't open on Mondays or Tuesdays. Yeah, I kind of feel like that's where we're headed when I think about, you know, I, I summer in Ely a lot and all last summer, nobody was open Mondays and nobody was open Tuesdays. Somebody that I just talked to, they opened on Mondays and they said it was constantly they were selling out of food. They said it was great to be open because they were able to be the only place open and they made a ton of money. But they said from a service perspective, they're not sure that that was the smartest thing because they were just putting out subpar product and just trying to keep up. I do think, though, that this whole class of folks that might be people that are coming into the restaurant business, people that are using it to supplement other jobs or the creative class or freelancers or students, they're just not interested in working to live. They're living to work, if that makes sense. They feel very different about their work. And I think that's going to be an extremely large cultural shift that's going to take all of us time. Like my daughter went to a job interview the other day, college graduate. It's an entertainment type of business, but they were like, okay, it's $11 and you're going to need to work Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. We can do full time, but you'll work 10 hours each of those days. And there's no benefits and it's $11 an hour. That's not very much. Mm -hmm. 
And she just really was interested in the work, but was like, I don't think I can do this. I can't live. I have to pay my bills and I have to pay my rent. And so I think people are just in our day or my day, we took whatever job we could in like the pursuit of trying to further our career or it was a stepping stone. Like, I, I just don't sense that that need to have that stepping stone is the same. Yeah. I think that you're talking about another layer of all of this is that that is education because I don't think that we've seen a high influx or replacement of workers going into education to further their, their learning. I think that what we're seeing is some dramatic shifts and maybe in the long term or the macro sense, it's possibly better. People are valuing their time or their families or their health, but at some point the work will have to continue. And the more displaced workers we have because businesses aren't able to open, that will create a new strain as we all know. But I do think that, um, you know, we are all going to end up paying for these rising tides because if labor goes up, which it is, so too are the costs because of, you know, the gas prices and, and the wages for those delivery companies or what have you, everything is going up. That's all going to get pushed all the way through the full chain to the endpoint consumer. So we will be paying more for things too. I often think about more of the average wage as an indicator of the price of a hamburger or vice versa. And right now, you know, we went from $10 an hour to kind of a mean around 15 and burgers are kind of in that zone right now. And it's, it's, um, it, it feels good to have a higher income and maybe some capacity, but if all of the our commodities and our prices are rising, we're not going to necessarily have that much of a benefit there. So I'm curious how this is going to flesh out as, as the prices start to come up and, you know, we're trying to combat inflation and what have you, but no matter what, there's going to be the need for food and there's going to be need for labor within it. Um, you know, the last 10 years, probably the largest indicator of growth has been in um, ready to eat meals, you know, whether it's you know, the delivery version of HelloFresh or Blue Apron and all of the different types, um, or um, even delis and groceries where you can grab food and it's quick and it meets that standard of, you know, price point, what have you. And it's just, it's really changing. So I think the full service restaurants um, and even the circus style restaurants where there's a lot of front of the house performance are really there's going to be a lot less of them or less of us because of the labor pool. And when it changes, maybe we'll get back to it. I don't know. It feels to me like we're going to see a lot more home cooking, which obviously the cookbook will be great for that. And we have seen a lot of home cooking. I think we're also going to see a lot of like continued proliferation of fast casual and, you know, a burger bar, a dive bar, those kind of places. But then I do think what we were going out to eat like five to seven times a week. If we only are going out to eat now two to three times a week or two times a week because of costs or because of labor, will we be doing fine dining? Will we be going back to more experiential dining? And that is, I do see your place as being uniquely positioned in that way. What I'm hearing from people is they want to go back to dining experiences. They want the special five course. They want to do something they can't replicate at home. And it's either a burger and a pizza which most people, for whatever reason, fried chicken, burger, pizza, those are things people don't typically cook at home. And then the experiential dining, which is, you know, your pickled ramps on a beautiful piece of perfectly fried uh, skillet driven fish with some kind of a, a fruit sauce, whatever that may be. Sure. So that's kind of how I see things shaping up in the Twin Cities when we're talking to people, that it's sort of that middle of the road, grab a... Um, 
weeknight dinner, some of those things are seeming to be lost in the shift, but then it's not bearing out in the numbers because you look at places like some of the um, like Red Cow and Red Rabbits and some of the restaurants in town here, the Green Mills kind of in that middle of the road area and they're all just doing great. So I don't know. Yep. You know, I, I try to often I'll ask people to change the noun in a sentence as a means of maybe getting a different perspective on things. And it helps you think about it a little differently. I often think of the restaurants up here in, in the North as they should be likened more to farming, you know, just because there's such a robust season and then there's such a collapsed season. Yep. It makes it difficult for consistency purposes. But if you think back probably in the fifties, sixties, maybe even the seventies, a lot of these restaurants were just open in the summer. And I'm wondering if we're going to start going back to that. I know up in Grand Marais, you know, the angry trout this last year, they stayed open the entire year. And so there's certain restaurants that are holding all year. And I think we're going to see some that are going to go back and just be open for seasons or for, you know, the five day a week or the weekend work or whatever. And I think we're just trying to figure out what we can do with the resources and their market. And I think you're right. I think that that fried fish and burger, people aren't doing it at home and they want to go out and get the fries and the hamburger and the pizza. And I do agree with you that people are going to want to go out and have that dining experience. The question that I have is, will we have enough interest on the staff side to offer that higher culinary experience and service? I think we will find people that can do the greasy burger or the the omelet or whatever. I'm not trying to diminish it. I just think there's more people that are interested in that at this point in the labor force. Yeah. And the level of skill is different too. And we've had a lot of the culinary schools close down you know, yeah. how do you learn that type of, I, I guess I always feel like there's going to be these creative, this creative class and it expresses itself in food, in graphic design. I think I read that, you know, the Twin Cities has a, a very a, a overly large creative class in terms of freelance workers. So I'm hopeful about that. And I just, I see your cookbook as just an amalgamation of all of these beautiful talents coming together from food to design to the photography. I was really excited about it. So thank you for talking with us today. I am going to be up in Duluth in your area. So I'll make sure that I give you a buzz and stop in. In the meantime, if I Instagram, I'm going to Instagram one of these dishes here because I swear I'm going to do it. I don't know if it's the roasted carrots and the beet. I've been just, I'm like, okay, what's, or if it's going to be Aunt Agnes's cake. I probably am not going to do porcini cured elk. That might be a little bit above my skill set. Well, you'll have to, whatever you put out there, I'll see. So do your favorite thing and then we'll take a look and learn what you liked best based off your post. How's we'll that? Tag it. Yep. And then I'll look forward to seeing you at the state fair. I think there's going to be renewed interest around the state fair this summer. Our radio station's talking about doing a stage and doing some more food-focused things. So if we get that together, I will make sure to tap you. That'd be great. All right, Scott. Thanks for being on the program today. Yeah, thanks for Scott the chat. Soon. Scott yep, Gray from the New Scenic Cafe. Yep. And it's the New Scenic Cafe. Where do you want people to order the book, Scott? I forgot to ask you that. Off of our website, newscenicafe.com. All right. Thank you. All right. Bye. Bye. Thank you.